Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. Paul McFadden is part of an exclusive fraternity in National Football League history. There are only four members in this club. So if you were to have an argument, a Mount Rushmore argument about who belongs on the Mount Rushmore of said particular skill set in National Football League history, well, it wouldn't be an argument because, well, there's four faces on Mount Rushmore and there's only four in this club. So I'll give you a hint in case you didn't see the cover art for this particular episode. Mr. McFadden decided NFL football games while the shoe was on the other foot, literally. He only wore one shoe because he was a barefoot kicker and a very, very, very good one. Two Pro Bowl appearances as a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. He had a strong National Football League career. He was a Youngstown State University Hall of Famer and also a Euclid High School Sports Hall of Famer. And now he is running a very successful Youngstown State University Foundation. So we had a chance recently to chat it up a bit. And I must say it was a very engaging conversation because Paul kept me on my toes. Here's Paul McFadden. Paul, it is great to be with you, and you are among the tiniest of members of a fraternity in pro sports history, the Barefoot Kicking Club. Are there or were there only four members of that club, to your recollection, Paul? There's only four. There's a few guys who would do it for like one game, John, but really there's four of us that, that, yeah, there's only four of us in the club and it's, it's an honor to be a member of that club. Well, that club was started uh, unofficially by Tony Franklin. No, I say officially by Tony Franklin. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So what, uh, what do you know about his uh, situation getting into uh, kicking it barefoot? And then I of course want to get into yours. Well, I hope Tony in the, the highest regard because I saw him kicking barefoot on TV and that's what motivated me to try it. And even <laughs> when I tried it, people are like, who is this kook kicking with his shoe off? Well, poor Tony, he had no one even to say had done it before. So Tony was the pioneer. Uh, you know, he kicked the Texas A&M, really successful college career, very successful in the pros. I had the honor of following him in Philadelphia. He had been the kicker the five previous years. So Philly had a barefooted kicker for nine years there for a span. Well, uh, what a weird thing. That is so weird that you would have it being such a small club and that one team would have guys in succession. Now, when you got the job, you were a 12th round pick out of Youngstown State, Paul. And so there was nothing guaranteed for you. How difficult was it to win that job? You know, I learned so much from that experience, John. Yeah, it was a challenge. I was third on the depth chart going in. Uh, there was a gentleman named Manny uh, Mansakis who was drafted in front of me in the eighth round. And then uh, Jimmy Asmus, University of Hawaii kicker, who came out the year previous, who was very talented. Uh, I was up against two really good guys and fortunately was able to navigate through uh, that competition. But uh, that was a challenging time, that training camp. It had to be really wild. And, uh, uh, you know, nowadays a lot of people would not necessarily make jokes about, but saying you drafted a kicker. What, you know, were you thinking you drafted two kickers, an eighth round guy uh, uh, who you just mentioned, and then yourself in the 12th round. That's wild. 
Yeah, and you know now there's so few rounds, and back in the old yeah. days there was 18 rounds. So uh, I wouldn't have been drafted if it was now because there's no 12 rounds. But uh, I went in the last round, and it was a great honor to be drafted. Well, Paul, let's go back to uh, Tony Franklin. So you're 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 a young guy. You're watching him kick. What's going through your mind when you see this guy kicking with? Uh, he he was barefoot through and through. There are guys that are barefoot who actually at times had socks as well, right? Myself included. My freshman year here, I went with a sock. You know, my my situation kind of morphed, John. I didn't kick in high school. I, I played soccer at Euclid High School. I had a wonderful experience under Coach Sattler and Coach Homelbeck there. Uh, great yes. men who really impacted me in my life. And I came here to Youngstown State and played soccer my first year. And it was that spring that the football team during spring football was looking for a kicker and uh, went out and you know, kicked a couple of balls, but it wasn't real serious. But I wasn't on scholarship for soccer. And they okay. gathered us all up after the spring football game. There was eight guys trying to win the job. And they huh. said, whoever wins the job is going to get a scholarship. Well, you know, kid from Euclid, that's money. So I said, <laughs> okay, I'm going to I'm gonna work on this kicking over the summer. And I came back and won the job in training camp the next year. That is spectacular that you did. You got the job. And by the way, uh, you mentioned Greg Sattler. He lives actually two houses down from me, one of our neighbors oh. and truly good friends. So I'll certainly say hello to Coach Sattler, uh, who is also a member, as you are, in the Euclid High School Sports uh, Hall of Fame. So that's kind of cool to know. So, all right. So you're at Youngstown State and there's 87 guys going for this job and and. And but you knew there were there. There's that carrot stick out there, as you said, that scholarship was beckoning you. So how did that motivate you? Well, it really motivated me. And, and the more I kept trying, the more I was getting excited about the opportunity of football. I still had my my spot on the soccer team. So if football didn't work out. I was going to back, go back to the soccer team. Uh, okay. they, they really vetted us on the first day. They narrowed it from eight to two because uh, they didn't want to have eight guys in uh, the two days training camp. And uh I battled a local kid from Boardman High School here named Barry Needham, and we battled tooth and nail. And I really think when it came down to the first game, it was almost a coin flip, uh, but they gave me the nod, and uh, things went well from there on. Okay, so the origins now, Paul, of the barefoot. You mentioned that you did use that style. When was the first time you actually said, I don't need a shoe? When was that? So it was that very first summer when I was experimenting. I went to a sock, as you mentioned, some guys. In yeah. my freshman year, I kicked with a sock on. Oh, kind of a pain in the butt. You know, it gets wet. It gets soggy. You're always changing your sock. And it was just after that freshman year that I'm like, I do not need this sock anymore. I just got rid of it and went barefoot from then on. So what was the sensation like? How did it give you confidence? Uh, take us through uh, just the mechanics, all the stuff involved in deciding to use this style and, and not have a shoe. It just gave you such a great sense of the ball. You can feel the ball. Uh, I, I use the, the analogy of trying to pick up a dime with gloves on or trying to pick mm -hmm. up a dime with bare hand. You you can feel the ball. It works so much better for me. Uh, the other four gentlemen, the other three gentlemen that we did it in the NFL, we really thought it was going to take off at the time because yep. there was only 28 teams and there was four of us. They were doing it at the time. We thought, boy, this is a trend. And instead of a trend, it's faded off in the legend. So uh, it went backwards. It, it's so strange. And that's part of why I wanted to speak with you, of course, many other reasons as well. But it's so strange that in that particular point in time, as you mentioned, you're all kind of clumped there together. Franklin, you, 
course, the nemesis of the Cleveland Browns, uh, Rich Carlos, who yes. who kicked the Browns into the offseason, that infamous time at the AFC Championship game. Um, and and so I, I'm just trying to gather my thoughts as to why it was so successful for your short group and it didn't morph to other people. You know, I Is can't any- answer that, John. And, and the other thing that, that really amazes the guys from my era is how good, I say kids, but how good the kids are now in the NFL. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, they go out for 50 yarders like they're PATs. I mean, they are so good now. They have so perfected uh, the, the craft of, of field goal kicking. You know, I'm not a Dallas Cowboys fan all those years being a Philadelphia Eagle, but the Cowboys yeah. kicker this year has not missed a field goal. He's 35 for 35 in field goals. That's unbelievable. It's really cool, too, to see what the guy in Cleveland has done. I'm sure you followed Dustin Hopkins, who certainly wasn't even the first choice. You know, uh, we, we know what happened with Cade York, and they moved on, and they went to uh, Dustin Hopkins. And he is eight for eight beyond 50. That's ridiculous. Unbelievable. My only advice to him is don't chase guys. You don't need to tackle them. That's the <laughs> other guy's job, because that's how the poor guy got hurt. Yeah, that's <laughs> my point, John. These young players today... They are so strong. They're so accurate. It's just they perfected the craft to uh, it's amazing. Well, Paul, when you played and when you were a kicker for the Eagles and when in your pro career, you came from a soccer background and not all kickers do, but certainly there's a good number of them do. You were an athlete. You were in a Hall of Fame soccer player at Euclid High School. You had the skills. You went to college for that, all those types of things. So certainly in your mind of minds, if the revolves were reversed and some guys running for free for a touchdown, a kickoff return, I think Paul McFadden would try to chase him too. What do you think? I, I tried. I just never caught him. But I tried. <laughs> That was my job, John. But those guys, they're pretty quick. And by the time they get to the kicker, you know, they made it past all the tough guys. And all that you have to get past is the kicker. That wasn't much of a challenge for them. Let's keep it in the present tense real quick. And then I want to get back to you and the, the barefoot kicking with you. A guy like Dustin Hopkins, we were recording this before the final uh, regular season game for the Browns. Uh, he's got a left hamstring. He kicks with his right leg. Uh, what are the odds that we see him in the postseason? What do you think, Paul? Um, I think it's going to be tough. Uh, any injury to to your either of your legs, especially hamstring. You know, hamstrings just take time. They're nagging and they're they're tough to to overcome. I'm pulling for the young guy because he is a really good kicker, really talented guy. Kicking at a difficult place, Cleveland is not easy place to kick. Uh, so I'm pulling for him, but I, I would think the odds are a little bit stacked against him. As a visitor, how many opportunities did you have to kick at the old uh, at the old stadium in Cleveland, being a member of the Eagles and the other teams? I played played at Cleveland one time, and and what a memorable life experience for a Euclid kid to kick in old Muni Stadium. Played him in preseason, thank goodness, so it wasn't freezing <laughs> cold and windy. Uh, I remember everything about it. We dressed in a baseball locker room because they really oh, didn't boy. have a visiting football locker room. And, you know, there's how many guys they suit up for baseball. So we were overflowed out into the hallway, changing and getting ready. And all the other guys were complaining. And I was like, no, this is this is dream come true. I'm playing in Muni Stadium. I, I remember every second of that experience. Did you go to many games as a kid, you know, uh, following the Browns, the old Browns? I, I grew up a Browns fan, Don Cockroft, all that. Yeah. Listening on the radio with my dad when the games weren't on TV because they weren't sellouts and all that. Yeah. Never went to a game in person, never went wow. to a game in person, but 
was a, a Browns fan all the way through my childhood. Well, Paul, so you go from being a kid and not having an opportunity to go into a stadium and to watch a professional team, uh, your Cleveland Browns uh, play. You go to Youngstown State to, to ply your craft as a kicker. You, uh, in your first game, you kicked a 54-yarder. Am I correct on that? Uh, was I was that very fortunate, John. Uh, well, I mean, come on now. That, that was your first successful that – was, that was your first kick, correct, as a college kicker? That was my first kicker? kick in, in – in, I did not know how far the kick was. I was a deer in the headlights, and they called field goal. And I went – I think if they said this is a 54, there's no way I would have made it. But it was just a field goal, and I didn't think it was that far, and I, I kicked it, and by some miracle it went through. So how does that work? You're a kicker, and um, you, you, you obviously worked in practice – many, many times on the limits to your range and those types of things. And now when we watch broadcasts, we see, you know, that Hopkins needs to get to this yard line that's mm -hmm. in his range. And you see they're trying to get enough yardage to get there. So, uh, so how did that work initially as you're just trying to determine what is the extent of the strength of your leg as a barefoot kicker? Uh, I mean, really just as a kicker in warmups, your mm -hmm. coach always watches you. And uh, every head coach I played for, I had the honor of playing for several, and they'd always pull you aside after warmups and say, how far can you hit it that way? And how far can you hit it that way? Because the wind's always a factor. And you had a pretty good gauge on it. You, you know, you could tell coach, hey, you know, I get to hit it farther this way today, not as far that way. Uh, so you could gauge in, in warmups, you know, how far you can hit it. And then, uh, and it's, and we often do that, Paul, you know, if we're at a Brown stadium, uh, you know, working media members, that's among the duties that we always uh, pride ourselves on, you know, before the game to see uh, what the kicker, you know, how far he was hitting uh -huh. them from, or he was, you know, in the open end, the dog pound, it's a little tougher. And so um, yeah. you're certainly aware, I would assume of the uh, exploits of Phil Dawson at that stadium. Um uh, did you get that extensive as like reading the weather reports and, and becoming Dick Goddard for the day? Or how, how did you work things when you were kicking? I kind of went more by the seat of my pants, John. I showed up on <laughs> Sunday morning and I'd go out and hit warmups because this also happens during the game. The weather changes. You, yeah. know, you go out at halftime uh, to warm up for the second half. It could be different conditions. I remember one time in San Francisco, it was very different conditions first yeah. half compared to the second half. So you always got to be cognizant and engage in the conditions. So you continue to do that as a pro. You go to Philadelphia, you go to Philadelphia, you win the job, you go to a couple of Pro Bowls. You had a very, very good career. But uh, I want to get your sense to what it was like because they always say, you know, Philadelphia fans are this, booed Santa Claus, et cetera, et cetera. Oh. What was it like? As a novelty, I mean, I know I know Tony Franklin paved the way for you, so it wasn't like you're the first guy that showed up without his shoes, his mm -hmm. shoe. But what was that like, the pressure to be a kicker there in that city that is so hard on its sports uh, um, athletes? Well, I love Philadelphia, like Cleveland, great sports town, fantastic sports town, both Cleveland and Philadelphia. Uh, Deer in the headlights, a lot. And I credit a lot my fellow Youngstown State alum, Ron Jaworski. Yeah. He played here 10 years before me, but Ron was my holder. And, and John, he gave me such comfort if there's such a thing going out on the field. But I'd go out on the field so nervous and so scared, and he always just reassured me. He's like, come on, Mac, we're going to make it. And uh, I really think Ron Jaworski was a great security blanket for me 
especially in the first two years in the league. Yeah, what was that like for you? you this guy's an icon in the city. He's the quarterback. I mean, uh, uh, so obviously he's he's there in case the snap goes wacko and he can do something uh -huh. with the football. Uh, but you're with a guy who's a one of the renowned QBs in the league, and he's your, he's, he's kind of like your line, Linus with the blanket. You know, he was that for you, I would assume. A big break in my career, I feel, having Ron there. You know, we never met till I walked in the locker room the day after draft day. And as you said, he's an icon here in Youngstown. So if I just met Ron Jaworski that day and never made the team, it would have been worth the trip for me because uh, he's big time here in Youngstown. But he's just he's a lifetime friend. We still stay in touch. I go to his charity event every spring uh, still to this day. And he was such an asset to keep me calm down. And, you know, he's a big golfer. He owns all those golf courses. And he would yes. always use golf analogies in practice with me. And uh, there's some golf analogies that Jaws gave me that I used in kicking. So uh, uh, are you, when you're saying like, uh, hey, uh, Mac, you got to draw this one or you got to hook it or what, uh, was that the type of stuff that he would say to you? Or well, how, we, how's that work? we had a saying hard to the middle because the more we played with the wind and you tried to finesse it, you'd get in trouble. You, it's probably better just go hard to the middle. Uh, mm -hmm. with a good, strong, firm kick, unless we're out really far. And then he might say left one, right two, which means aim one foot to the left or aim two feet to the right. You know, that okay. was just the lingo that we developed. But uh, something he really shared with me that that impacted my career is he said one day, you never see a golfer just put their driver on the ground and step back and hit it. They always walk back and get a line and look behind the ball. He's like, you should walk up on your kicks. And I started doing that and it really helped me. I would always come out at least 15, 20 yards behind the, the kick and walk up on it. You get a feel for your line, get a feel for your direction. And that was a golf analogy that Jaws gave me that I incorporated for the rest of my career. That's fantastic. So he helped you a lot with your confidence, right? And, and so uh, did you did you need a lot of bolstering in that department in your sense uh did you feel like you were out of your element because uh, you you hit it off right away you know your rookie year you were uh, you know you, you won awards for your kicking so how did that work out for you in terms of just your confidence level as you went forward I look back at that rookie year John I'm like well I was a lucky dog because I was I was always afraid I was always nervous uh Ron was a very confident guy I mean he'd been a quarterback in the league for 10 years so that was also reassuring to be around, around a guy like that. But, uh, you know, there's there's things in your life you look back and like, wow, right place, right time, right people around me. Because I was a nervous, nervous Nelly that whole first year. And uh, very fortunate things went well. Oh, it, it obviously did because you had an outstanding career. And then after you finished up in the the, the NFL, uh, you know, your school kind of came calling, right? I mean, you've been with Youngstown State for, for many years, um, uh, what has that been like in the various iterations of jobs that you've had, athletic development back in the trestle coaching era, so on and so forth? What's uh, How did that get going and what's it been like being at your alma mater and being such an important figure there? Well, life and circumstance. Uh, I was teaching uh, middle school at Memorial Middle School, South Euclid Lynnhurst, and President Trestle called. He really didn't have a job, I found out. He wanted to have a fundraiser in athletics. He was then head football coach and athletic director, but he couldn't mm -hmm. convince the administration to give him a salary line. So he paid me a GA salary, a graduate assistant salary for a year, which okay. was basically nothing. And I remember yeah, talking really. to my brother saying, 
do I leave this teaching job, which is solid and secure, and take this gamble at Youngstown State in the athletic department in the early 90s? Well, we know what happened at Youngstown State in the 90s in athletics. I mean, anybody would have taken that jump in hindsight. But looking forward, it was a gamble. And it, it was a gamble that, that just worked out fantastic. It really did. And, and obviously, uh, as you alluded, uh, Jim, you know, part of that great Trestle family, his dad, the legend that he was. Uh, uh, on a personal note, I got to know Jim actually when I was going to Ashland uh, College because my best friend, Gordy Netschke, was in the same fraternity at BW that Jimmy was. And yeah. I was best best buddies with Jeff Groza, so the Grozes and the Trestles yeah. back and forth. So I go back a long way with Jim Trestle. And, and it's to say that he's always been successful. And so he saw someone that could be a success on the on the other side of, of things in you. I mean, that's the way I look at it. What, what, what was your, your mindset when a guy like Trestle says, let's come on, be involved in the school? Oh, I learned so much from him. And, and it's interesting, John, because, you know, he was here for, for almost 15 years and then he went to yeah. Ohio State. And I would tell people when he was gone, boy, I had the honor of working for President Trestle. Well, then I would say Coach Trestle and learning from him. Well, then he came back. In chapter two, while he was president, and I was here at the YSU Foundation. It, I mean, it was it was like a fantasy come true. I mean, it was such an honor to be you know, a part of his team for the last nine years. And the changes that President Trussell brought to Youngstown State University are profound. We're a different institution. He elevated us without a doubt. Uh, so there was chapter one and chapter two. I couldn't believe I had a chance at chapter two. And it, it was just such a thrill to be a part of. Let's go back to ch uh, chapter one. The, how exciting was it while the, this YSU was, you know, Stambaugh Stadium filled, playing for the national title? I remember being there and seeing uh, the, uh, them win a title or, or two, you know, the, the atmosphere there. What, what was it like? How much was Youngstown jumping back in those Trestle era days when every year it seemed like you're winning another title? Well, we always use the analogy of before President Trestle, you'd go to the mall or anywhere around town. You never saw a Youngstown State shirt or Youngstown State sweatshirt. Or, and then yeah. once President Trestle came, everywhere you went in town, everybody was wearing penguin gear, everywhere. So uh, he he reinvented us. He brought a pride to a town that really at that time we were down. You know, uh, uh, what was it, Black Monday with the steel mills closing was in 1979. Yeah. And he came only a couple of years after that. So it was a town that was down in its spirits, and, and he gave us something to be proud of. And it was had to be so so much fun each and every Saturday when you walk, went, went to that stadium, or even all week. You know, when we look back to those days, I mean, now we've kind of overbuilt the stadium because we haven't been able to fill it like we did uh, back in the yeah. day when President Tressel was the coach. We would oversell the games, which, you know, teams do, especially Mac school teams and like Youngstown-level teams. But we had a couple games where the fire marshal was really not happy with us. We had people <laughs> sitting in the in the 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 the, the rows, you know, the <laughs> the access rows up to the seats. I mean, it was bursting at the gills. Yeah, it had to be a great atmosphere. And I can also remember too having known, you know, what Jim was like, and you having the same knowledge being there at YSU in the heydays of the Penguins. Uh, that whenever there was talk of any kind of change down in Columbus, uh, when Cooper was, you know, you knew we were all banging the drum for, for this guy in Youngstown. He's right there. He's winning titles. 
what what don't you see that we that we see but some years it's it would seem like you know our our uh, our talk was falling on on deaf ears so he gets the job in columbus what were your thoughts back in oh, in 2000 or so you know uh, two sides we were of course we were so disappointed no we're losing our leader and no we're losing but then it also, you'd have to think personally for President Trestle. At that point, he had won four national championships here. Yeah. What's he going to strive to win a fifth? I mean, he had achieved it all here. And so with President Trestle going down to Columbus, what better endorsement for Youngstown State than for him to wander the sidelines in the horseshoe every Saturday? So it was it was a win for us, as hard as it was to see him go. It was a win for Youngstown State. Well, in your second chapter, as you alluded to, uh, Paul, you know, you are you're running the YSU Foundation uh, with uh, until he's retired very, very recently, uh, Jim, as the president of the university. How was that? How did that dynamic work for you? You know, it was and things again came together right because I came to the YSU Foundation from the university, from University Advancement in uh, 2012. And I felt mm -hmm. we had to make some changes. We had to get the place, uh, steer the ship in a little different direction. And it took me two years to implement the vision we had. Well, then President Trestle came. And I said mm -hmm. to him, I said, Coach, I wasn't ready for you two years ago. If you came in 2012, we weren't ready for you at the YSU Foundation. And he always said, well, I wasn't ready to be a university leader. I needed those two years at Akron uh, working under their president to cut my teeth in university administration. So it all came together. You know, just serendipity, it came together. You know, it, it's really weird how it did. And and for a second there, I had forgotten about those two years. You know, you're alluding to Jim, uh, JT being at Akron. And but yet knowing that he came from where he came, his mom being as great in, you know, in school work that she was, his father being the type of individual. Uh, I remember when he left Ohio State, my first thought was that, this is the type of guy that may never come back and coach again, but he'll be totally fulfilled because there's a greater purpose for him. Did you get that a sense too when you know, he I uh, left and, coaching? And I, I mean, I, I knew President Trestle from working under him. And, and of course, when he came here to, to Youngstown as the president, there were some naysayers. And, sure. and my answer to them was always the same. I say, look, he's not a football coach. He's a leader. If yeah. he was leading the marching band, it would be the best in the country. He's a leader. <laughs> And give him a chance and watch what he could do for our university. Yeah, my buddy, my buddy Gordy tells jokes about the fraternity that they were in. Whenever they had excursions or whatever, who was organizing the excursion for the for the uh, fraternity? It was Jim Trussell. He was the guy that was making sure that everything was set up right. So he was the leader that he he always was. So what's the future? What, what's the future for uh, the Youngstown uh, State? Uh, university, uh, the Youngstown State University, the foundation itself, and uh, what's the vision as you move forward, Paul? Well, I'm so honored to be here at the Youngstown State University Foundation. We were founded in 1967 by our longtime university president, Howard Jones. He was the president of the university for over 30 years. I don't know wow. how he survived, but 30 years. <laughs> and it corresponded with the private institution, Youngstown University, becoming a state institution, and he didn't want the endowment going to the state. So he created a separate, independent Youngstown State University Foundation at that time. So we are here to support the university. We're the development arm of the university, but I'm not a university employee. We're a separate organization from YSU. We're here okay. exclusively to support YSU. Uh, so it's a very interesting setup. I think it's the most efficient setup in the state of Ohio. And uh, we, we primarily house 
the scholarship funds. Uh, we're the largest public university foundation in Northeastern Ohio. We're double the size of Kent's endowment. Two wow. Akron's is two thirds of our size. Over half our students, John, over half receive some scholarship aid from the YSU Foundation. So our mission is critical. We're impacting young people's lives and it's an honor to be here. Wow, that's incredible that you have so many, such a huge percentage of, of the students uh, being benefited in some way, shape, or form. Um, is it difficult, uh, not difficult, how exciting is it to, to, note, to note in your mind leading this group that you don't have boundaries? You know, the ceiling is very, very high as, as, as how you look forward. You know, it, and it's interesting because in my, I've been fortunate my career continues to grow. Uh, we continue to find more benefactors. Our benefactors continue to be uh, more generous. Uh, we're very, very excited about our plan giving program. That's when someone leaves you in their estate plan. And, and we know right now of over $100 million that's in people's estate plans. It's coming to support the students of Youngstown State University uh, whenever they pass away. So we think we have a solid current program for our university, and we know we have a solid future program. So what do you see as the, the benefits for being kind of, as you mentioned, outside, but not within the confines of the university structure, per se? Uh, well, personally, uh, our employees are, are at will employees here at, at the foundation. And I so respect and admire and am grateful for our employees and are more flexible. I, I don't have to follow as many regimented rules in our HR policies. And when I see employees okay. performing, we could reward them. Uh, of course, okay. they have to perform. If they don't, they may have to go find another endeavor because we need them to perform on behalf of our students. But uh, just flexibility in a lot of ways. Uh, we have a wonderful board of trustees. It's also independent, uh, very generous board of trustees, John. In our last campaign, our YSU Foundation Board of Trustees gifted over $17 million wow. to our campaign. So I, I think it's a unique setup and I think it's just a more efficient setup. It sounds great. I mean, the structure's just uh, very advantageous to being creative, to being autonomous in some way, shape, or form, but still connected. So uh, that it, it sounds like great uh, way that you guys set things up, and and things have really come into uh, full focus for you. Going back to the, the days when you were part of this tiny little structure of kickers in the in the league, yeah. uh, the barefoot gang, if you will. Uh, was there any unofficial? Um, uh, did you have uh, conversations with any of the other guys in the you know back in that era when you were kicking barefoot uh, with Carlos or or so on and so forth. Yeah, Michael Lansford. He was also kicking that during okay. that time yeah. for the Rams. We all played against each other, so we all know yeah. each other. Uh, to be honest, I've stayed in closest touch with Rich Carlos. Rich is a local kid. He grew up in Salem, Ohio. Yes, he played at Salem High School, then University of Cincinnati. Uh, so I've stayed probably in closest touch with Rich, who's retired now in Denver. And he runs a, a a wood shop called Barefoot Wood Shop. <laughs> uh, barefoot, is that Barefoot something? Barefoot something. <laughs> and, and he's a woodworker. He likes to work with his hands. Um, oh, my gosh. Stay in closest touch with Rich, who also comes back to town occasionally to see his family in Salem, Ohio. Oh, that is that I, I somehow can recall when we were doing 
uh, interviews setting up uh, Browns versus Bronco games, the the subject of his his history, his Salem history. Of course, we always joke that he what he did not make that field goal. It was <laughs> you know you know we always say that, but that's just Browns lore and Browns fans wishing upon yeah. wishing. Uh, what a group though. I mean, and I still it blows me away, Paul, that something that was so proficient and so advantageous to your success and the success of the three other kickers is that that didn't you know have a way of going forward and that are you kind of is it strange to you that nobody nowadays is even thinking along those lines surprising john honestly when it was four out of 28 and we thought it was just going to continue to grow uh, never thought it would take over the league but we thought it might be a third or 50 percent and we would have never envisioned that it would entirely go away no so yeah very surprised that it didn't stick and you mentioned before, you're just blown away by the abilities of some of these guys in the league. I mean, coaches are angling for 59-yard tries or 60-yard tries, and not we're not thinking they've lost their mind. I, I believe that the league has many times in the past made steps to make it more difficult for kickers. I think they have to do it again. You know, the goalposts used to be 24 feet. Then yeah. they moved them to 18-6. They used to be on the goal line. Then yep. they moved them to the back of the end zone. Of course, the extra point change, moving that back, that was a good move. I believe they need to narrow the post to 15 feet. Well, currently at 18.6, even at 15 feet, you watch these young kids. I still say young kids. They're knocking them right down the middle. But they got it. I mean, scoring should be difficult. And these kickers are so good. I don't know how difficult it is for them. Wow. 15 feet, man. I, 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 18 just is hard for me to fathom, but uh, you know, now that if you, you say if you're going down another three feet, six inches, that would be really wild from the 18th, that it's at. But hey, as you said, you know, the game evolves and so things have to evolve with it. Well, Paul, you have evolved quite uh, effortlessly from your uh, quote unquote humble beginnings as a Euclid High School Panther, a Youngstown State Penguin, and uh, the great work you do with the foundation there and the outstanding career that you had in Philadelphia and other points around uh, the NFL. Proud to call you a Euclid Panther and so excited mm-hmm. that we had a chance to uh, uh, sit down and, and chat a little bit on uh, my humble little podcast. So thanks again, Paul, for uh, taking the time to uh, shoot the breeze with me. Well, John, when I saw the email from you, I was so honored to receive an email oh. from you and I followed your career and I did not know you're a Euclid Panther. It's so fantastic to talk to another Euclid Panther and, and it's such an honor to be a part of your podcast. Thank you for including me. You are quite welcome, and I hope you have a great, great day. Thanks again, Paul. You too, John. Thank you. Jeff Wilkins, the former kicker for the Rams, who won a Super Bowl championship back in 2000, he was thought to be the last kicker in NFL history to kick barefoot in a game that happened in 2002. But he fessed up. He told ESPN Sam Borden on a podcast episode not too long ago that that simply was not the case. His toes, well, they were exposed to the elements, but he confessed that he wrapped up his foot, his instep, heavily, to be honest, with athletic tape. So the four-man fraternity remains Mount Rushmore size. Unless, of course, there's some kid somewhere brave enough to bear it all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tell H Talks. As always, please rate, subscribe, 
Leave a comment, anything that you can do to help the algorithms with this particular podcast. I would appreciate it. Thank you to Paul. What a great convo we had. And I look forward to getting together with Paul and that other famous YSU uh, man by the name of Jim Trussell, not too far in the distant future. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time around on Tell Talks.